Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and on this episode I'm pleased to welcome one of the leading poets and spoken word artists of his generation. Since starting his career in his teens, Luke Wright has established himself as a respected poet and playwright with a blistering stage presence that has made him a hit all over the country and around the world. He began by reading a new poem and telling me how it all started 20 years ago. This poem is called The Rack. It's about being in a long distance relationship. I am both a single parent on the Brexit coast and dumbstruck lover on Brighton shingle shore. Mad rambling declarations in the Mandy Mr. Seafront clubs, the glitter on our cheeks and fish fingers and chips for tea next day. Motorways apart. The spelling tests and guided reading, lives and levels of my vintage SNES. Me with my children, you with yours, picking up the Snapchat psychodramas, eating hearty stews while I read Philip Pullman books to my two in their beds. Will and Lyra in their separate worlds. And I wish each night that I could cut a window in the air, slip through exhausted, neat into your arms and stumble back when light creeps through the curtain crack for cocoa pops and combed hair and my work. But love has put me on a rack of roads, a rack of straining tarmac stirrups and thunderous white noise. And sometimes when the screws tighten and Dartford tailbacks and I swear my skin will split, my bones pop clean from their sockets, I worry what this rack will do to me. And if I'll limple through my life and pray that I'll walk taller for the pain and work to count the sweetness of relief children tearing through the playground pouncing up at me that smile of yours that continent-wide smile of yours as doggedly i limp around the dog leg of your stare so without well, no, i think this probably started uh li- listening to to blur listening to the lyrics of blur that really got me interested in writing lyrics and from that i went to a songwriting course that has been run by Martin Yule in Colchester. Mm. And Martin talked not only about songs, but also about how he wrote poetry as well. Um, so I went along to watch him do a poetry gig and he was supported by Ross Sutherland and he was on with John Cooper Clark. And seeing the guys on stage do their stuff and telling jokes in between it, there was somewhere between being a front man of a band and being a stand-up comedian, but also the fact they were sort of, they were poets as well. It seemed like a sort of very cool and sort of strange and otherworldly thing to be. And that combination of things really... I thought it was, was was amazing. And I thought at that point, that is what I want to do. I want to spend my life doing that. And that was when I was uh, 16. So I was about to turn 17. So I have yeah. been doing it ever since. Yeah, it's uh, quite a common thing, I, I think, for people to start off uh, with music and then they realise they can do the, the words on their own. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I think I'll be, you know, I, I, a lot of people, when they start writing lyrics, when I'm writing music, they, they don't, they don't realise that, that you can just do poetry on stage. I, mean, I think maybe that's changed now, right? But um, certainly back in the in the late 90s, it wasn't really much of a thing. There wasn't very many people doing it. And certainly young people seem to be more aware of spoken word now than they were when I was a kid. And uh, would you say you were, first of all, a performer or a poet? Uh, I'm a poet. I, I mean, the, I don't really know what I'm doing in performance. I've been reminded of that recently doing my play. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm guessing when I'm performing. Obviously, I've got an aptitude for it, I think. But um, really, the, the thing I've spent my time doing and getting good at is writing poems. So, yeah, I'm a poet first, I would have thought. 
Yeah, nonetheless, you, you uh, have a strong stage presence. Uh, how did that develop? Uh, well, I guess it's just doing it for a long time. Um, being a naturally verbose and quite loud person, I think helps. But uh, I look back on videos of my early performances and they're so self-conscious and so, you know, yeah, I mean, miles off where they are now. So it's about um, being confident as a person, I think, which t comes mm -hmm. over time. I'm a lot more confident now I'm in my late 30s than when I was in my late 20s and certainly when I was in my teens. Um, yeah. So it's about bringing that on stage with you. And uh, yeah, and I, I guess just I, I, I guess I just have developed over time. I've developed uh, a confidence and like anything, the more you do it, the better you get, the better you get it. Don't you? Yeah, it's uh, quite a strong on stage persona. Were there any uh, people who inspired that? Oh, I don't know. My persona. I mean, if it's my persona, it's my persona. It's it's who I am. Um, I think, yeah, I was I used to watch a lot of comedy. Grew up watching comedy. So I would say both Stuart Lee and Russell Brand have had some um, influence over the way that I perform. And also, you know, watching Martin and Johnny and, you know, working with the R16 guys. And we spent a lot of time making shows together. So obviously we bits of the bits of what we were doing rubbed off and, and, and the others. Yeah, you, you seem to do uh, more stand-up comedy bits now. Um, it's interesting you mentioned comedians there. Um, well, I mean, I did a show back in 2009 that had way more stand-up in it than, than poetry. I think it was like sort of 40 minutes of chat and 20 minutes of poetry. And I think in my current show, it's more like 20 minutes of chat and 40 yeah. minutes of poetry so I don't I don't think I do any more now often when I've got a new poem I just I just introduce it in quite a straight way and the more I do it the more I find where the natural pressure points have been able to put a gag in there and make the make the uh, introduction sort of amusing and so but but that, I, I never write that stuff it's not something I sit down and write it's it's always just ad-libbed and then after a while the ad-libs sort of stick in place so I guess a lot of people do performance poetry on an amateur or semi-professional basis. When did you realise you could actually make a career of it? Well, I moved down to London after I finished my degree in, in 2003. And I said to myself then look, that I would not pursue seriously any other kind of job. I mean, I, I had, had, a, had it in mind that I quite like the idea of being a journalist, but I felt that I didn't really have the emotional and intellectual energy to pour into into a proper job so I thought I'd temp and I worked in a hotel for a bit and I temped uh, so I did that for three years but I tried to make poetry pay and if I couldn't make it pay after three years then I would give myself the opportunity to go and do something else and you know and pour my efforts and into that because um, I didn't want to just sort of keep on doing it for years and years and years and get nowhere it wasn't like I was going to give up but I just thought I'd, I would I would make my focus would put my focus on something else uh, and within about 18 months I was just about scraping together a living certainly within three years I was I was surviving um and so I guess I, I guess I knew then but I mean I, I've always lived in constant fear it will come to an end uh I, I all I want to be able all I want to do is you know, be able to maintain this level of work for another sort of 25, 30 years. <laughs> That's all I want. I just want to get, I just want to make it through to the end because I don't really want to do anything else. I'm also not qualified to do anything else. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in a couple of years. So uh, yeah. it'd be a bit late to try and start a new career now. So um, over the first uh, 20 years, what, what have been the most memorable moments? Oof, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've played, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've played some 
wonderful venues with lots of interesting people. I've um, had lots of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really, I was, it was obviously very nice winning the fringe first. That was, that was a special moment. And I've had some, had some great gigs back in, back in the day with Isle 16. We had some great late night sessions at Latitude. They were really special. And I've played the, you know, the Palladium with John Cooper Clark on two occasions and just had lots of, um, yeah lots of lovely opportunities but i don't really sort of sit there and rank them well we did that we did a um did a, a gig for um john betjeman's daughter for john betjeman's centenary event and uh afterwards she was just so bowled over by this performance she came up and hugged me and said oh my dad would have been really proud to see that yeah, what that did you very, do for that, that? We, we put together a show called services to poetry we were we john betjeman had sort of you know obviously was a campaigner for uh um, you know, Victoriana and, you know, the, 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 he was he was sort of set himself up in opposition to a lot of the modern buildings that are going up. And we thought, well, what, what would John Betjeman have hated most about modern Britain if he was still around now? He thought, God, he would hate motorway service stations. Um, and we had a bit of an encyclopedic knowledge of motorway service stations, having spent so much time on the road. So we made this show with the idea that we would live in motorway service stations for a whole year. Sorry, sorry, a year, a week, sorry. Living there for a week and not not going to any towns. So we'd, we'd stay in motorway service stations or we'd stay on the other side of the road. Wouldn't go into any towns, any places with a sense of community. And we'd just, you know, closet ourselves in these places and try and write poems and see what it, see what it did to us as well. So it was kind of a bit of a social experiment. It was like, you know, Big Brother meets, a, you know, a, a writing retreat. And it was quite horrible. <laughs> it wasn't a very nice, nice week. Uh, yeah, well, they're, they're not really places designed to be inhabited. They're just very transitional, usually. Yeah, yeah, but but our theory was that you know that that, that, that towns were becoming increasingly like motorway service stations, where, where you know they, they were they were becoming towns are becoming more and more uniform with the same brands in every single town. So I think mm. it was a, it was recognizing that really. So anyway, we worked the show and it was a reverend. It was quite fun, and um, yeah, all the poems had a very sort of Betchmy kind of style to them as well. Um, and we let his, we, we wore his influence sort of on our sleeve, um, and she loved it. And that was that was that was a lovely moment. I'll never forget that. And uh, you've um, performed in various parts of the world. Um, what sort of reaction do you get in different countries? Well, I mean, obviously it varies from gig to gig, but essentially, like I'm generally always performing to English-speaking audiences. I mean, we had a has a thing in uh, in China where where the work was being translated on a screen. So it was subtitled, essentially. And we okay. also had this, we did, we did a show in Slovakia once, and they, um, we had a translator who was translating it live over, over a headset. So um, we, we, we would say the line and about, you know, and then immediately the translator would, would translate it along with us. And in Slovakia, you have a real division between the younger generation and the older generation. Yeah. The older generation grew up speaking Russian. And the younger younger people grew up speaking English. I mean, anyone, anyone sort of who was schooled after the wall came down. We we, we had was sort of the front half of the audience were all young people, and they were laughing <laughs> along with the show. And 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 then the older people were at the back with the headphones on, and they would laugh about three seconds later as as the line was translated. So we had this strange sort of lag. But it was it was I remember it being really good fun. I mean, it was a very long time ago now, about fifteen years ago. It must have been very hard to uh, translate something like that i mean you can go at quite a pace and um the, uh... yeah yeah and actually we, we had we had a translator the translator had translated the script and then we went through the script with that with the actor who who spoke excellent english as mm. well and he was like <laughs> yeah and some of the translations just really hadn't um 
uh, hadn't worked at all. In fact, they, they, some of them were saying things quite different to what we meant. Um, so, um, yeah, so thank goodness we had this this guy who was turned out to be a much better translator. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's very hard to translate poetry, full stop. Yeah, so I think it was really sort of just communicating the gist of what we were saying. But people seemed to like it. It was, it was good. So uh, what poets and uh, performers uh, inspire you now? Well, you know, I mean, I like I like Bertrand and Larkin. Um, I like uh, Catherine Smith and Caroline Bird. There's all you know, there's all sorts of contemporary poets, but I don't really, I don't know, I don't I don't get inspired by other poets really. I get inspired mm. by thoughts and feelings and emotions, and that, then I choose to sort of put that into verse. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I don't really. It's it's not like that anymore. I sort of I feel like I sort of, to an extent I know what I'm doing, and so. I'm, I'm kind of, but then, but then what happened is, I mean, oh, okay, well, like, for example, this is, this is an example of how poets affect me these days. So I've been working a lot with a, a poet called Kate Clancy, uh, uh-huh. who's an excellent poet and an editor, and she she runs wonderful workshops uh, for kids. She's written a book about about the kids that she taught uh, and um, working with a lot of refugee kids and getting them to write poetry. So she's really an amazing, inspirational figure. So she's really helped me with my stuff. She's been editing. Uh, my new collection of st- things before it goes off to the publisher. And so she's really taught me an awful lot about new things about form and line breaks and stuff that I wasn't really considering before. So I'm still, I'm still always learning and I will obviously all learn from other poets, but I don't, I'm not really in a situation where, where I'm like trying to emulate another poet, you know, or, 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 or being inspired in the way that perhaps I was when I was younger and I, and I would see a poet perform or read their book and be like, wow, I want to be like that. I don't have that now. I, I, I have too great a sense of my own self as an artist. But yeah, obviously I can still be influenced and helped along the way by um, by other poets like like Kate. So, um, what advice would you give to other performance poets? Well, I don't really like that phrase "performance poet" really so much. I don't really think of myself as a performance poet as just a poet. But um, you know, so obviously, I wouldn't I wouldn't get trapped into labels and thinking of you one thing rather than another. Um, but generally, I, I'd say if you're starting out, that you should. Um, you should read as much as you, you can and, and watch as much as you can. Take it all in. When when you begin, you you, you tend to have much more Catholic tastes than than when you get older. You, you after a while, you work out what it is you like and you sort of focus in on that. Um, but when when you're when you're younger and you're new newer to it, you're you're you know you you listen to anything and you try anything and you you like all a bigger range of things. And I think let you know let that go on for as long as possible mm. try everything try different styles um don't be afraid of anything give it all a go and eventually you'll start to decide you'll start to get a feel of what your voice is and what you sound like don't don't you know it's like that thing that philip pullman thing but you know when you're when the kids their demons don't settle and they can be lots of different animal shapes and i think when we start our um when we start our careers off, we, we're not settled we can we can be anything we can t- we take on lots of different voices and lots of different mm styles and uh and i think it's very important to, to sort of you know go sh- try a bit of everything before you start to settle down and work out what your actual voice is yeah and uh so looking back is there anything that you would have done differently in some ways it would be nice for me to to develop uh, slightly more out of the public eye you know I, I, w- I was doing gigs from a very very young age taking shows up to edinburgh and having bits and pieces on telly and stuff like that you know when i was really wasn't well you know it, it, i wasn't ready for it i wasn't good enough 
um, why I don't think I was good enough. But that said, you know, I wouldn't also really change anything because I like where I've ended up. So, you know, regret is a useless uh, emotion. And uh, looking ahead, what what else uh, would you like to achieve? I, I just want to survive. That's all I want. I just want to survive. I want to keep on making work and, and, and be able to support myself financially. If I can do that until I die, I'll be happy. The, the, the work is, honestly, truly, everyone likes to win awards and all that sort of stuff. But essentially, it's, I don't really sit there thinking about, about that. I want the opportunity to make work and, uh, and, you know, without having to sort of go out there and earn my money in some other way. Uh, if I can, if I can keep, if, if that, if I can maintain things like this, mm-hmm. uh, that that'll do me, that'll do me nicely. So, um, do you have a prompt that uh, you can um, offer listeners? But so, um, something I do with my friend uh, John Osborne, and uh, we we uh, it's called, we call it speed poetry. We 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 pick a word or a phrase from a book, and we're not, you know, we don't force ourselves to write the first thing that the pen lands on. Uh, we, we we try out a few phrases. What do you think about this one? What do you think about that one? And once we've got something we like, we uh, write it at the top of our page and we give ourselves 15 minutes to write a complete poem. So we can't, we can't, you can't pull out of it and say, oh, I haven't finished it. You know, you have to try and get a first draft done. And then we read it. Then we read it out. And then, uh, yeah, quite often, you know, nothing is ever perfect or completed or right at that you know from from these um uh, uh, but uh, you know i would say what, what every 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 couple of poems every two or three poems you find something you think oh there's something it's something in that and then you go away and you do a few more drafts on it um but it's just quite good about forcing something out forcing something out so yeah i recommend doing that but it's best to do it with a friend if you can because it's good to sort of it, it helps with the discipline making yourself making the other person do it yeah, I, I think it's a great prompt, particularly uh, for a podcast like Poetry Nonstop, because you can get uh, way down with trying to write something good, but ultimately you just need to get writing and uh, let the good stuff come when it comes. Yeah, um, Joe, Dun- Joe Dunthorne said to me once, he said to me, you need to write more bad poems. That's really good advice. I think, you know, the, the thing is, don't sit there uh, terrified to write because you don't think you're going to write something brilliant. Uh, you need to sort of be writing regularly, constantly churning out work and accepting that some of it's just going to be a bit shit. And that's all right. Yeah. Um, so uh, you've got uh, a poem you wrote using that technique. Yeah, this is, this is an old poem. Uh, I wrote it um, sitting outside Norwich prison up on, up on the hill in Norwich. And I think that, that our, our prompt line actually was... Um, was the last line of the poem, which I won't give away. And the poem is called Loughborough. I once spent the day with a girl who was pro fox hunting, who asked what was wrong with the Tories, who said she wanted her parents' life. We lay down outside a church. The grass poured around us like mint sauce, and I thought maybe I'd just marry her and be done with it. Later, we climbed to where the Victorian prison stood, its windows like diamonds in the low sun, the skyline beneath us like smash meringue, and I thought about the house we'd own in Loughborough, our lanky children, our utility room, our dogs, wax jackets, fridge calendar and committees. We sat on our coats, fingertips touching, an ice cream van started like a chesty cough, the breeze almost gone, the mud almost dry. It was all just like summer, if you squinted. Yeah, that was great. Um, cool. And um, I 
had a go at the uh, exercise as well uh, just uh, this morning. So um, this is literally something I just drafted in 15 minutes, as you'll probably be able to tell. Um, I um, The phrase I uh, started with was the kitchen. I did have a try picking a few phrases, as you suggested. Um, one of the other one was servants. So that idea has come in as well. Uh, I was using the book At Home by Bill Bryson, hence the domestic terms. But yeah, this is uh, pretty much what I did in 15 minutes. Did you taste the steak positioned before you so your knife naturally glides through its tender flesh? Did you consider how the chef's eye watched for the moment it sizzled to the perfect hue? Can you sense the stress of the junior chef who has had more than one imperfect dish hurled in their direction? Did you appreciate, as you chewed while checking your phone, the delivery man driving up at six in the morning? Why is the broccoli steamed with precision for minimum wage not even worth touching? What are you still hungry for as you pay your bill, stomp out with your briefcase, while the porter scrapes greens, gravy, mangled meat and a whole roast potato into the bin. Excellent. Well done. Thanks. Uh, it's obviously not uh, perfect or polished, but um, I sort of wanted to stick to the discipline yeah. and uh, you know, write, present a raw draft to show that <clears throat> it doesn't have to be uh, perfect. Um, but, yeah, you know, if you exactly. just... Yeah, exactly. Go away and do the, do the work on it now, exactly. That's when it comes. And that's hugely important. If you know, if the biggest best piece of advice i can give to any of my students and anyone who's starting out is um, that editing is vitally important and that's something i didn't do when i was younger i didn't really edit enough so that's why my poems weren't very good because i couldn't be bothered to edit i was i was happy when i did my first draft and thought well, that'll do uh, but it won't do it's not good enough yeah well it's a great exercise and i yeah. hope that uh those of you who are listening will give it a try as well and um please share your yeah. results as always you don't have to send in your unadulterated <clears throat> first draft uh go back to it give it a polish and then uh share it uh, it would be great to see what uh, comes out of that and uh you can find details where to send it and everything else about the show uh on the website uh poetrynonstop.com um, so, uh, Luke, uh, what are you up to uh, now and in the near future? At the moment, I'm editing uh, my, the the uh, the book version of The Remains of Logan Dankworth, which is my new verse play, which will be touring all next year. So I'm literally editing the, the uh, manuscript today. Um, and I'm touring still my poetry show from this year uh, Luke Wright Poet Laureate that's got, got about four more dates with that I'm also on the road with John Cooper Clark in the next few days and then at Christmas time I'm on tour with the Libertines um, doing some doing, well, comparing do the odd little poem here and there wow how did that come about um, their manager Peter's manager saw me um, saw me do a gig a few years ago about a year, year and a half ago and uh, I went down to meet them all. We all got on quite well. So um, I've done a few support slots for Peter. And uh, then, yeah, I was chatting to Carl uh, this year. And he said, do you, do you want to come and do you know, a few shows at Christmas with us? So I'm doing that, uh, which is good fun. 
because they're because they're nice. They're nice people, actually. Yeah, yeah, nice people. yeah. It's nice, nice when you, yeah, it's nice when you get poets performing with uh, bands. I mean, that's so uh, uh, what John Cooper Clark did in the early days, and yeah, yeah, yeah he did indeed. Uh, and the play you mentioned, what's that about? It's about a relationship, and all, all of the plays I've written are. are personal stories told against a political backdrop so the political backdrop of this one is brexit and it's about uh, it's about a marriage that is under considerable strange strain uh, and uh, yeah it's called the remains of logan dankworth and uh, it takes in the ideas of privilege and trust yeah how, how did you find writing about something like brexit which is so current and uh, changing all the time because i think the, th- the thing to do really and i think also what poets should be doing if they're writing about political things is they're looking at bigger and more emotional impacts uh, as a result of political news it's not about doing satire on sharp political you know think you know everyday political changes and everything I, I think you know you need to look at what the bigger picture is and i think the bigger picture with the brexit debate is that you have two sides um who have fundamentally different ideas about life because they live different lives and have had different life experiences and they no longer trust the reactions of the other side. And so I think, so what, you know, essentially what you're doing is writing a piece about trust. Also, this is it's slightly historical, this play, in so much it's set between November 2015 and November 2016. So all the actual events have changed. It doesn't really matter what happens now because it's, it's about the breakdown of trust, which has fundamentally happened. And even if it is restored in some way, it, it still exists. It's still, it's still a thing, you know. Great. Well, um, catch that if you get the chance. Um, mm-hmm. Have you got a poem to finish with? Yeah, let's finish with this. This is, a, this is a new poem. This is about my dad. It's called Clocks. My dad used to make clocks. Condemned to office work in London, your workshop was your weekend refuge. A thick smell of machine grease, corkscrews of brass filings on the lino, and against the window, that colossal lathe, the colour of naval warships. Out of this industrial den emerged the skeleton clocks you made from intricate Georgian designs. A hundred perfect bits machined in brass and kept under the glass domes you'd wear white gloves to lift each Sunday night, deftly wind each tricky mechanism. And every January you put them forward at the Model Engineers exhibition. Once I fought to stay awake to see you when you came home late. You crept into my room to uncase the gold medal you had won and whispered, pretty good, eh? You let me in. And though I never found the knack for making things or helping in the workshop, I learned from you the pride that comes from skill. And it's your clocks that come to mind now as I walk slowly to the cardiac wing, past doorway after doorway, framing grey-skinned men, balding and babyish in hospital gowns left open at the chest like shirts ripped in bath bites, almost missing you, so haggard with the ivy in your arm. The clock. I think about the clocks you filled our house with years ago when we had all that time. A touching poem there from Luke Wright, finishing today's podcast. You've been listening to Poetry Nonstop with Patrick Widdis, and thanks to Luke for sharing some great poetry and valuable advice. To find out more about Luke, check out the blog at poetrynonstop.com where you'll find full details of the show and Luke's prompt, which I hope will inspire you to write something and ultimately something good. I'll be back with more poetry soon. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, share and tune in next time. 
Thanks for listening and keep writing.